I'd like to invite you to turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We In, in attending uh, some meetings around town the last few weeks, uh, our thoughts were kind of stirred a little bit by some of the things that uh, was preached to us at those meetings, Brother Tim uh, at Bethel, and then uh, we were down at, uh, excuse me, Brother Tim out at Beulah in Leeds, and uh, then we were down at Bethlehem and heard uh, Josh Coker speak. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that Brother Josh had said was, uh, doesn't take talent to show up. Sort of a simple statement. Uh, Brother Tim had preached on uh, this portion in Ephesians 4 of Christ giving gifts unto the church. It is not my intent to magnify that portion of his sermon. For those of you that were there, I will not re-preach that. Uh, what I would like to focus on was, or is the purpose that those gifts were given as it's laid out here in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 11 he says and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers now it is our belief that that gift of pastor teacher is one gift it, there are not five gifts in this passage go back and read it apostles prophets evangelists that is three separate gifts but it's our belief that the pastor-teacher is one gift. So you don't have a pastor and then a Sunday school teacher. You don't have a pastor and then a youth minister. You have a pastor who's a teacher. Now, not all preaching is teaching, and not all teaching is preaching. But there should be some teaching in your preaching that when you preach, you teach. You attempt, as you preach, to preach to reach each. See how that works? You preach to reach each person you're teaching. And so the Lord had commanded Peter uh, to feed my lambs, to feed my sheep, and to feed my sheep. We would, we would consider the older congregation, the adult portion of the congregation, the sheep, and the child portion of the congregation to be the lambs. So it's important that families worship together, I, I guess is what we may can get to that. Um, it is necessary for families to worship together. Um, it is not a hindrance for families to worship together. Now, uh, for someone to say, well, small children can't understand what's being taught. And that is, that is probable in many cases. Um, so that's why parents don't ever take their children to football games. Because children just don't understand what's going on. Chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. See how ridiculous some excuses are when you really weigh them against what the course of, of life itself is. <clears throat> they may not understand everything. But they do understand this. On Sunday morning, we're at church, right? And so you have the pastor, teacher. And here is, here's the reason then in verse 12. For the perfecting 
of the saints. And the term perfect in the Bible uh, does not always mean uh, uh, sinless. Now, if you're talking about God and Him being perfect, then yes, you make that absolutely as sinless as possible. I don't care how much you want to make that sinless, you go right ahead and make that perfection 100%. But when you're talking about human beings, you're talking about people in the church, the term perfecting does not have reference to being without sin. It means of a mature, grown stature. Uh, so when the Lord gave some parables in the New Testament, uh, one of them he gave about uh, a corn of wheat falling in the ground and coming forth. It bringeth forth the stalk and the, the ear, and then it bringeth forth uh, a fruit unto perfection. It doesn't mean it's a perfect plant. It just means it's a mature plant that can be plucked and used. So that, that's what we as Christians are to be taught to do in our perfection is to just be mature. Uh, use for the master, really, is what he's saying here. For the perfecting of the saints. For the edifying, or excuse me, for the work of the ministry. <clears throat> for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot of information within that passage that uh, much of that we will not, not even consider to cover this morning. But the theme of these few verses that we've looked at is what we'd like to look at. Um, growing up, graduating high school, graduating college, uh, there, there is a question that is asked of children for years. It was asked of you, it was asked of me, it was asked of my children, and it will be asked of your children. The question is very simply this. <clears throat> what do you want to be when you grow up? Do y'all know what you want to be when you grow up? The good news is, is I'm getting fairly childish, more and more childish every day. So I, I may not have to worry about that. And when, when grandchildren come along, it gives you an excuse to continue to be childish. Sort of. Kind of. But really the answer, the answer varies amongst who you're talking to and what demographic they're in, what category they're in. What do you want to be when you grow up? Most children have no idea what they want to be when they grow up. Some children want to be astronauts. Some want to be engineers. Whether that's locomotive or mechanic, that's up to them. Some people want to be architects. Some people want to be chefs or baseball players or some athlete of some kind. Lots of children nowadays want to be social media influencers. Uh, 
I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I guess I'll figure it out one of these days. If I was to ask you that, what, what would your answer be? Lilia, what do you want to be when you grow up? An architect. Well, there we go. Got one. What, uh, what do y'all want to, what, David, what do you want to be when you grow up? Alive. There we go. Okay, that's a good answer. Believe it or not, the Bible kind of answers this question for us. This is one of the reasons that, uh, that, this is one of the reasons that when we look at the Bible, we look at it as the most complete book ever written. That it has an answer or at least a direction for almost every question in life. Here he says, concerning the teaching of the ministry, that we, in uh, verse 14, be no more children. What do you want to be when you grow up? We want to look at some verses in the Bible that tell us what we should be. There are even verses that tell us in the Bible what we should be not. You know, for example, uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. It's just a page or two back from this. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Christian, be not deceived. The wicked that get away with things on this earth in your sight have not gotten away with them in the sight of God. And God does not cash checks on Friday like you do. He may cash a check you've written months from now, years from now, decades from now. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Really? Any of y'all young, young, uh, you younger, old, or older, young in here ever play football in high school? You wrote a lot of checks back then, didn't you? Checks of banging into somebody else and running over somebody else and, and braving this lo locomotive who's coming towards you. Your body wrote a lot of checks. You cash out a lot of things that now you're paying for with knee replacement and hip replacement. And, you know, some of these professional football players, as they retire and are washed up at age 33 in life, 34 in life, they're now having major brain problems. Uh, CET, CTE, something like that. Too many, concu too many concussions in, in their earlier, younger days cause their brain to misfire. Muhammad Ali, the greatest, considered to be the greatest boxer in American history, suffered Parkinson's disease until his death because of his boxing. God doesn't always cash checks the moment you write them. The wicked of this world, you say they're not suffering immediately, they're not suffering now, they're not suffering when I think they should. That's okay. Because they're not cashing checks against you. They're cashing this against the Lord. And He'll cash it when He gets ready to. And for the non-elect wicked, that will be at the end of their days. There's no doubt about that. Friend, be not deceived. Uh, Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 15 
and uh, the 33rd verse. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. Here's something also, be not. He says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Uh, evil communications corrupt good manners. Um, this is one of those verses that just reminds us um, how hard it is in life to maintain a good habit. How hard it is to maintain a good habit and how easy it is to pick up a bad habit. It's very hard to be on a diet, isn't it? Especially being an old Baptist. But it's also hard to be on a diet and then there's Thanksgiving. There's days like Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays and yesterday and tomorrow. If all those days weren't involved in this, it'd be a whole lot easier, right? But try as hard as we might. Don't kid yourself. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Your uh, immoral friends will drag you down a hill a lot quicker and a lot easier then you will pull them up the hill, is what Paul is saying here. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't want to be deceived, right? Uh, Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, there's, there's an issue that uh, God's children have associating with the world around us. And it's so hard to just go in and out of life with wickedness around us. Now, Paul does remind us in, in uh, another portion of the scriptures, he says you can't completely live without the wicked. For if, if you were to completely live without the wicked, Paul tells the church of Corinth, he said you just have to go out of the world. That's, uh, I remember an episode of, oh shoot, I'm, uh, it's not Twilight Zone, The X-Files. That's one of those weird things from long ago. Uh, this person found a genie. And, and they wanted, the genie granted them a wish, and, and, and their wish was, well, I, I, want, I want peace on earth. And the genie says, granted, and every person on earth disappeared except them. What a thought. The what? Twilight Zone? Was that the Twilight Zone? Was that what that was? Ah, whatever. You know, one of them weird shows. Uh, I hate giving some examples sometimes because I guess it kind of dates myself. And embarrasses myself but at any rate you know Paul reminds us though he says you know these evil communications they corrupt good manners uh, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers there's there's all kinds of things uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 here's, here's a good one though while we're thinking along this line of things maybe not to be in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 notice uh, verse 13 2 Thessalonians verse uh, chapter 3, verse 13 says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't you just get tired of always trying to do the right thing? Now, sometimes at work I realize, you know, I'm trying to do something that nobody else cares about. And it's just almost not worth my time. And, and sometimes you do, you have to kind of just step back away from that and let that be. And just kind of let it 
sort of phase its own self out or manifest its own self and, and see where we're headed and see if everybody likes the direction we're going in, you know. But we as Christians sometimes, I think it, it's easy for us to get weary in well-doing. It's, it's easy to give up when nobody else cares. He says, be not weary in well-doing. Colossians chapter 3. Here's another be not. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you want to be when you grow up, let's not be this. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 18 says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, I, I like the, I, I, when Paul put the word fit in this verse, it changes the application of this verse completely. He did not say, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands and that's it. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. You have to be careful with that. So in other words, if your husband wants you to rob a bank, not really required to submit to what he has to say. Now, um, I know that there are some churches that teach that wives are to submit themselves unto the husbands in all things, and the Lord will just watch over you and take care of you regardless of what happens. Well, we can sit and reason this out, and we can sit and say, well, I know a person that did this, or I can say a person that did that. We can use a bunch of hypotheticals, can't we? Best thing we can use is the Bible, right? What happened in Acts chapter 5 between Ananias and Sapphira? When the husband said, we've sold a bit of property, but we're going to keep back some of the money and give the rest of the money to the church, but we're going to tell them that this little bit we gave is all we got, right? Did I say that plain enough? Just follow along with me, because if you submit to me, the Lord will take care of you. And the Lord did take care of his wife. He took care of her in the same way he took care of her husband. He killed them both for lying. Now, we've turned our guns loose in the church on fornicators, adulterers, drunkards. What if the Lord turned his guns loose on liars and covetous people in the church? Boy, it sure is quiet in here, isn't it? Uh, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, one thing I don't want to be is bitter against my wife. Now, preacher... I guess I didn't intend on this, but we talked about before we started this morning that we just get on a bunch of uh, controversial subjects and get everybody's blood pressure up and we forget about how cold it is in the church. Now, I didn't really intend on this, but I guess, you know, the Lord answers before y'all call upon him. But, uh, preacher, you, you, don't, you don't understand my wife. If you were married to this woman, you, you'd be bitter too. She is the most unreasonable disrespectful, argumentative, hard-headed, knuckle-headed person I've ever met in my life. You don't look in the mirror lately, do you? I'm willing to bet, I'm just willing to bet that every joke that men make about women 
women could probably make the same amount of jokes about men. Y'all think that's true? I think we're all kind of messed up. But it does seem, it does seem, it does seem that there's a little extra command given to men. It says, be not bitter against your wives. And I think it has a lot to do with the reaction of one as opposed to the other. When a wife, when a wife gets bitter against her husband, she really doesn't harm him physically. She'll just take him to court and take his children and take his house and take all his money. When he gets bitter against her, he'll take her life. Because men are have a tendency to more, be more violently aggressive. Women are verbally aggressive. Men are violently aggressive. So men have to take double care to not be bitter against someone. This is probably why Paul says in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be angry. Really? I don't think anybody wants to be angry, but it's a reality that that will occur. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful that when you are angry, you're not sinning. Uh, Shakespeare wrote that play, uh, Hamlet. And there's probably, not, there's probably not too many people in here who are Shakespearean uh, readers. You're not aficionados on Shakespeare. But we do know that one, there is one uh, quote from Shakespeare that most everybody knows. Well, actually, there's two of them. There's one that people think is in the Bible that actually belongs to Shakespeare, that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. That's not Bible. That is Shakespeare. But the second one is to be or not to be. That's from Hamlet. And Hamlet is giving this, or the man in, in Hamlet that's giving this soliloquy, he's saying to be or not to be, that is the question. And, and what he is doing in, in that, he is observing the the tragedies of life around him. And he's really asking the question, is it worthwhile to be? I mean, to exist. I see all the injustices. I see everything that's around me. I see every problem that's around me. And I, I'm just not even sure I want to be here. I think I just want to take my own life and walk out is, is what the context of that is. He says, but the conundrum is, I see what is around me that I don't like. I do not see what's beyond me. And so I am not sure that where I'm going is going to be better or worse than where I'm at. To be or not to be. But I assure you from a biblical standpoint, to not be these certain things will be better than where you are if you are these things. That makes sense. He says there in Ephesians, be angry and, and sin not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, no, where am I going? 1 Corinthians 14, there is uh, a passage here. It kind of follows along lines of where we started this morning. 
in, uh, in the book of Ephesians, talking about that the preaching of the gospel, the, the being under the tutelage of a pastor teacher uh, is something that's beneficial and proper to a congregation that they grow up. So what do you want to be when you grow up, congregation? What do you want to be, child of God, when you grow up? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says in, in verse 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be ye men. In understanding, you want to be a man. In malice, you want to be a child. Having, having reared a few children of my own, there's some uh, life lessons and experiences that I have uh, that only raising children will teach you. Uh, you can read every book in the world you want to. You can watch every program you want to. You could read Dr. Spock if you wanted to back in the 80s, only to find out that his children said he didn't even do those things. But I've noticed a few times that children like to quarrel about things that don't matter. They like to fight over things that don't matter. Now, <clears throat> you, have to, you have to back up a little bit on that and say, well, what do you mean it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter to you. Because I'm concerned about the light bill. I'm concerned about the water bill. I'm concerned about the rent. I'm concerned about the food that's in the refrigerator. I'm concerned about the insurance, gas in the car. I've got all these things up here I'm concerned about. They're over here arguing about a toy that got broke. What do I care about a toy that got broke? It does not change my life at all. But it's changed their life. And that's what we do forget. That that is their life. And, and it's a, you know, it's a good thing that we live in a nation where that's all that children have to worry about is broken toys. Because, you know, some of, some of our people that have adopted children from other nations it has taken them, uh, it, it takes them quite a time if, if the child has grown up to say five, seven, ten years of age and they're adopted into America, it takes them quite a time to train out of them the idea, how long have I survived as opposed to how long have I lived? And so we, we have somewhat of a, a privilege here in America that our children have the comfort to grow up and only worry about my toy that's broken. But you can observe children and you can watch this. They will bicker, they will fight, and they will fuss. Children on a playground. But if you give it enough time, they'll quit their bickering and go back to playing with one another. Yeah. They will do that. And yet I've seen churches destroy themselves. Because some old hard-headed hard shell won't give up his malice, won't give up his anger, won't give up his hate, and won't give up his hurt. And they'll watch the church, they'll watch the church close its doors and burn down. 
before they repent and just go back to worshiping with one another. There's another one. What do you want to be when you grow up? Paul says, repent and be converted. That's a pretty good thing to be when you grow up. He says, in, in understanding, be men. That's what, when you grow up, you, want to, you need to be a man or a woman. Take your pick. This is gender neutral here. There's a phrase that uh, we've been kind of passing around the house here for a few weeks. Is that uh, grown men do what needs to be done. Children do that which is the most fun. Grown men do what need to be done. They don't do what's fun all the time. But that's what children do. That's all their life is. I, I want to be happy. I want to have fun. And if I'm not happy and I'm not having fun, I'm miserable. Which is why it's detrimental to the family to say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Oh, mama's a child? She's the only one in the house that gets to be happy? Hey, how about happy spouse, happy house? How about that one? Can we go with that one? The men say yes, and the women are looking at me like, you're messing with my thing here. But that's real. What do you want to be when you grow up? How about in understanding, be mature? How about in malice, be a child? Forget about it. And go back to playing together. Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul would write to uh, this church here at Rome in Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So, so what am I calling upon here uh, to teach this church? What am I calling upon here to teach? persuade the church at Rome to do a thing. I'm calling upon the mercies of God. Not calling upon your color, your gender. Not calling upon your wealth. I'm calling upon one thing that ought to be most important to you. The mercy of God in your life. If God has been merciful to you. It ought to mean something. See. When we gather at church on Sunday morning. It ought not just to be something we do. Because we don't have anything else to do. We're here for a reason. If you come to me in counseling. And. Just as an example, and you want me to kind of solve your problems, good luck. But I may not have the answer right then while we're sitting in the room. I may not have an answer for you on the phone. But lo and behold, I may just skirt across something on a Sunday morning, and that's the answer you need. I didn't know I was giving it to you. The Lord knew He was giving it to you. But if you're not here, you can't get it. We went down to uh, we went down to Zion a few weeks ago and preached. And um, Brother Chris was just real appreciative of being there. Uh, Brother Tim, uh, 
glad to have him there. He was real appreciative of us being there, and they just they told me how much they enjoyed the sermon. And I finally had to tell them, said, brethren, y'all must have heard something I didn't hear. Maybe they did. Maybe they did hear something I didn't hear. I have one perspective. They have a completely different perspective. And the reality is, is my sermon is probably not near as good as they say it is. But it's probably not as bad as I thought it was. But it is very possible that when the Holy Spirit gets in the middle of something, He'll fix it. Just like He came down on the day of Pentecost. And those apostles said one thing, and those men that were out there heard what they said in their own language. There was immediate translation between the mouth of the apostles and the ears of those that heard it. And they heard something He didn't say. Sort of. You get my drift? That's what happens oftentimes being in congregation, being in the presence of the Lord. You may hear something that I didn't think I said. Now, back up on that a little bit, but you may hear, the Lord may speak to you. Let me say it this way. The Lord may speak to you in a manner that I didn't speak to you. So be it. But I do this, I do beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And here we go. What does this say? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I'll tell you one thing you don't want to be is you don't want to be conformed to this world. You don't want to take on the attitude and the actions of this world. You don't want to be one of those half-worldly, half-Christian people. There's enough worldliness in your soul to start with. There's enough Adam in you, you ain't got to go out and get any more. Church is a good habit. Reading your Bible is a good habit. You know, we, we, uh, we all as a church started that Bible reading program at the beginning. Are y'all still on it? Good. I'm kind of there with you. But my family is there with you. I don't, I've kind of fallen off the last few weeks. Some things have happened. But I, ch- I catch up on my own in a little bit. But it's a, it's a good habit. Hard to maintain a good habit. There's enough Adam in me. I don't need to go out and get any more. But what does he say? He says, be not conformed. Well, if we're not conformed to this world, then what, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one way to do that is just spending time in God's Word. And spending time with God's people. Notice what Paul would also say. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Uh, Anybody, 
Anybody had a study about what it is to know the will of God? You ever really thought, I just really wish I knew what the will of God is for my life. Well, believe it or not, you can read the Bible and find out what God's will for your life is. He'll tell you in several different places. This is his will for your life. One of them is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In all things, give thanks. Do you realize that it's God's will for your life to just be thankful? In, in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 100 and verse 4, it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Have you ever noticed how much better your day is when you have a thankful attitude? I mean, when things go wrong, and again, I say, when things go wrong at work, because that's where I spend most of my week, things go wrong at work, we have a tendency to magnify what has happened. We oftentimes make our job harder on ourselves, too. And you kind of have to look at those at work that you work with and say, look, we do have a problem, but... You making your job harder isn't going to make it easier on the rest of us. Then you come home. What greets you at the door? Problems that are at home, right? I think people, in some cases, manufacture problems at home. I don't know why. A house would set itself at odds against itself. I don't understand that. I don't understand, in other words, why a team would set itself at odds against itself. There's no football team. There's no baseball team. There's no basketball team that's ever fought itself to a national championship. Right? My kids say, why, why, why is it going to be about football? Well, you read the number of times in here that Paul compares, you know, the Christian walk to, to a, a running a race or some sort of Olympic event. What are we supposed to learn about that? We're supposed to learn when, when America goes to war. We don't go out there and fight ourselves. We don't go out into the mountains of Iraq and then shoot each other. We go to the mountains of Iraq and shoot somebody else. Baffles me, amazes me why when you come in the front door sometimes there's, there's problems that greet you. Why, why in the world a, a team, an army, a church would fight itself and then, and then still expect to win? Where am I at? Did I, Ephesians 5, is that what I said? Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You can go, I guess, on to the next verse and said, he says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We, we did a whole series on, or a few sermons on what it meant to be filled with the Spirit a few weeks ago. But, you know, here's, here's just a very simple outline as to some evidences that you can look for in your life and in somebody else's life if you're filled with the Spirit. And these are not situations of chaos. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, how, how much better does your day become or how much better can a situation become when what's going through your mind, uh, you know, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. How much better is your day? How much better is your attitude? When it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How much better is your attitude after you've been sitting there singing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let, uh, cleft for, thee, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. He says then in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things. Verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What, what, do, you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? Paul would remind us in chapter 5 of this uh, here of Ephesians. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Lilia, what do you want to be when you grow up? An architect? Hey, let me tell you this. Chapter 5 verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. A follower of God as a dear child, dear David, dear Benjamin, a follower of God as a dear child is someone who does things that God tells them to, not out of fear of being punished by that God, but out of respect for that God. See, there's a difference, there, there's a difference uh, between Doing something, or, or backing up, there's a difference between not doing something because you're afraid you're going to get punished and not doing something because you're afraid it's going to hurt the person that finds out. There's a difference between obeying your parents because you fear they're going to whip you and obeying your parents because you don't want to break their hearts by doing something they disprove of. He says, be ye therefore followers of God. One, and one, one, of the, one of the efforts in that is told to us in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter actually goes back and gets an Old Testament text here in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, beginning in uh, the 15th verse of 1 Peter chapter 1, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. In all manner of conversation. Now that converse, the word conversation here in the King James Bible is not just the words of your mouth. Even though it can include the words of your mouth. It's not just the words of your mouth. The term conversation just means in your whole daily walk. Not just what you say, but what you see. And not just what you say and what you see, what you hear, what you do, where you go. In all manner of conversation, be ye holy. You say, now, now preacher, I thought you told us we're depraved. You are depraved. You got that one. How in the world do you expect me to be holy? I don't expect you to be holy by yourself. That's, that's for sure. But Peter does expect us to strive to be holy. He said, well, I can't, I can't do everything, all right? If you can't be perfect, be the best you can. 
But now this was something that the generation before me was taught. Good, better, and best. Never let it rest till your good gets better and your better gets best. Right? In James chapter 1, here's another be ye. In James chapter 1 verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's, that's very simple to understand, is it not? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, within this passage, he talks about somebody who goes and looks in a looking glass. He wakes up in the morning, he goes to the bathroom, he looks into the mirror, and he sees what a mess that this is. Good grief. I, got up, I woke up last night about 4.30 and, and went into the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and nearby scared myself. I really did. I thought, good gravy. I got hair up to here, this beard, beard sticking out all over the place. And I thought, wrinkles, bags under my eyes, so, you know, so, bag I, so big I could stop a flood. And I'm thinking, what in, wow, where did this thing come from? Good thing I didn't come to church looking like that. Y'all might would have thought the wild Gadarene was up here or... Or maybe John the Baptist. I'll go ahead and hang my hat on his nail. Uh, come in here, you know, this wild man from the woods wearing a, a leather camel's girdle and eating locust and wild honey, you know. But see, that's what James is talking about, though. He says, here's this person that looks in the looking glass, sees his reflection, and then walks out of the house. I mean, you gotta, you got to sometimes sit at Walmart and just watch folks, right? And think... That person looked in the mirror and said, that's what I'm going for, and left the house. And you're thinking, there are some adults who still need adult supervision to just walk around this world. And you're thinking, surely I don't look like that. I mean, when I get on, once in a while I'll get on Facebook and see, and see all these old people on Facebook, and I'm thinking... Great day in the morning. There's no way I graduated with that person. And I did. Wow. But see, that's, that's, that's what James means. He says they look into the looking glass and then they just walk away. They forget what manner of man they are. The, the, the message is, is don't just be a hearer of the word. Be ye a doer. Of the word. What do you want to be when you grow up? Matthew chapter ten. There's a uh, there's a wonderful verse here in Matthew ten. It kind of piggybacks on some of the things that we were speaking of earlier concerning anger uh, and malice. Matthew chapter ten. I'd like for you to notice the illustration um, that the Lord gives here. Matthew chapter ten, verse sixteen. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Uh, there's a saying that, that goes this way, the only good snake is a dead snake. It's not what the Lord said here, by the way. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of a ridiculous statement too. Because if you kill all the good snakes... 
The only thing that'll be is bad snakes. Well, there's no such thing as a good snake. You've obviously never seen a king snake eat a rattlesnake. You've obviously never known or aware that there are non-venomous snakes who are your friend because they are immune to the venom of other animals. And they will eat other animals. You know, possums are actually good creatures. Did y'all know that? They're not just targets on the road. They actually serve a purpose. Did you know that? I mean, they're not just some etiquette that you have at dinner in the mountains, right? You know, them Himalayan possums? On account we found Himalayan on the street, we had picked him up and brought him home, right? They actually serve a purpose. They eat ticks and all sorts of icky little bugs. God put these nasty, ugly creatures on the earth for a purpose. And one thing he says here is as you go out in life, be wise as a serpent. And one of the things that serpents will do when they are threatened is that if they can get away, they will get away. They will only attack. They will only attack when they feel like they have no other recourse or you so stupidly step into their square of living. Even though sometimes you may step into their living and they may just kind of look at you and let you go on. Because honestly enough, a lot of times they'd rather, they'd rather leave. Now, water moccasins on the other hand, they're just mean. I don't know why they're here. They're hateful. They're from the pit of hell themselves. They will chase you for no reason. But that's... Here's the point, though. What does the Lord say? What do you want to be when you grow up? He says, be wise as serpents. You can tell how foolish somebody is by how threatening they are to you when they know nothing about you. You can tell how foolish a person is by how threatening they are to you when they know nothing about you. So you bump into somebody at Walmart or in the parking lot and they want to bow up and fight you. What do you know about me? Am I carrying a gun? Am I trained in the martial arts? Am I a secret CIA agent that can kill you with this thumb? You know, what do you know about me? You don't know anything about me, but you're ready to fight me. That's a foolish person. You're driving your car along. And you're ready to yell at the person next to you. You don't know anything about this person. If they're driving a dumpy old clunker of a car that's got more dents in it than a golf ball, probably ought not to smart off to them. Because they already don't care about what they're driving. They probably don't care about what you're driving. And you're not sure if that person is just ready to leave earth today. And if I'm going, I'm going to take somebody with me. What does he say? What do you want to be when you grow up? Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Hmm. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, he says, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also 
is merciful. Time has very quickly gotten away from me. Let me just read some scriptures to you. Because sometimes the best thing to do in the Bible is to just read what the Bible says, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, he says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be ye clothed with humility. We kind of got that backwards in this world, don't we? We're always trying to figure out who's the greatest. Who's the greatest ball player? Who's the greatest athlete? Who's the greatest musician? Who's the greatest preacher? Who's the greatest amongst men and women? Oh, that's so dumb. Depends on what you want done. You want a child birthed? You might not all look to a man. Regardless of what the world is telling you, men cannot give birth. We can have kidney stones, which is kind of close. Actually, it may be worse. See, we're stronger than y'all. Oh, see, what's the purpose in all that? It serves zero purpose. It depends on what you want done as to who's the greatest. And actually, Jesus said, he that's greatest among you, let him be your servant. It's easy to be served. It's a lot harder to be a servant. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I don't think it can be repeated enough. That God gave human beings one mouth and two ears. And you ought to do twice as much listening as you do talking. We get that backwards though, don't we? Some people do twice as much talking as they do listening. And by the time they tell their story, they say, Well, I better stop it. I told you more than I heard. I told you more than I heard. As Elder Sonny Powell used to say in the little small town of Graham, Texas, where he lived, there's very little to see, but there's lots to hear. And it's so frustrating trying to, have, trying to carry on a conversation with somebody who is already answering your, converse, answering your question. You're not even done with the question yet. But they're ready to answer it and tell you what you're thinking. And there's just so many problems that come with that. You know what you ought to be? Let's just break this verse down. You, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be swift to hear. I want to be slow to speak. I want to be slow to wrath. James chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be ye also patient. <laughs> oh, gosh. I've been a patient plenty of times. I had broke this arm twice. I had... Surgery on my chest. I've been patient many times. But that is kind of that is kind of what this means. To be a patient of a doctor is the same thing to be a patient of God. You have to sit and wait for him to do what he needs to do 
and get done with what he's doing. Well, if God could just do it while I'm sleeping, because that's when the doctor does it. He does it when I'm sleeping, and so it doesn't hurt. And that is the problem. God does it when you're awake. And it hurts when He does it. But it's still good for you. Be ye also patient. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. There's a lot of families that go through life with hurt and baggage and regret because they are not confessing their faults one to another and they're not praying one for another. They're just wanting this person in the family that hurt me to suffer for it. They forget everything that God has forgiven them for. Last thing that we'll leave you with is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's one good thing to all be on the same page. Like yesterday, we're all on the same page. Honoring my birthday. No. Uh, but we were together. I, and, you know, Brother Jerry was right in his prayer. There was good fellowship outside of the sanctuary of worship. You know, sometimes you can tell the temperature of a congregation based on what they do away from the building. We're all got our best foot forward here. We're all behaving here. It's a lot different when you get outside and you get, you get the you know, monkey suit off. And you get outside and you get comfortable. Sometimes outside the building that halo gets to hang a little crooked. And if it weren't for the two horns on the head, it'd just fall right off. <laughs> what does he say here? Be ye all of one mind. First Peter 3 verses 8 and 9. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love his brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary rise. There's a lot of people who are contrary, right? You've met some contrary people, and they're the most stubborn, hard-headed people in the world. I've met some people who have a problem for every solution. I, as a man, think God has given me, I think God has given most men uh, the drive to solve. I, can I make that sort of statement? And God has put in, in women the drive to be understood. That's why as the church, we pray to God, have a problem, solve it. Right? And we have to wait for Him to solve the problem. So if you tell me you have a problem, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to attempt to solve it. That's not what I'm, I don't want you to solve the problem. I want you to hear the problem. I don't want to hear the problem again today for the third time. But maybe I should listen. Because we want the Lord to listen to us, right? Please listen to me. Lord, 
again. So that's, that's incumbent upon us as husbands if we're going to love as Christ does. We have to listen. Real hard. If you can't hear, get your hearing aids out. Listen. But I do know some people who don't really want the problem solved. Because their identity is in the victimhood. Men and women. And they're contrary people. They fight against every solution. So when he says contrary wise, you want to be a contrary person? You want to be an argumentative person? Then hear. Render blessings. Render not evil for evil. That's You want to be contrary? Somebody's arguing with you? Render a blessing. Somebody's being evil to you? Be kind. But contrary blessings in the place. Knowing that ye are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. See how that works? There, there comes the difference, or there comes that fight between the Adam nature and the Spirit of God. It's a whole lot easier for us to render evil for evil, argument for argument, fight for fight. But it's truly, it's truly a mark of the Spirit of Christ in you when you can attempt to turn the other cheek, when you can walk away, when you can attempt to push the problem away and say, you know what, I don't have to respond like that. I don't have to be that mad. I don't have to be that evil. Because ultimately, guess what? We have been called by God into the kingdom of His dear Son. That He has pushed away the argument itself from us and from Him on the cross of Christ. He has laid all my sin and the sin of this person who's sinning against me on Christ, who never did anything wrong. And if Christ, who never did anything wrong, can do that for you, who's done everything wrong, surely you can do that for this other person. And that's difficult, isn't it? I'm not, going, I'm not telling you, have I said that this is easy? Not, is it? That's hard. It's hard to be that kind of person. But you don't have to do it alone. The Spirit of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you're one of His. You don't have to do it alone. There is help. And it comes from above. So maybe if I ever grow up. I may not ever be an architect. I may not ever be that athlete I thought I was going to be. But maybe just one of these days when I grow up, I might just be merciful. I might just be patient. I might just be faithful. Maybe one of these days when I grow up, I might just be a follower of God. Who knows? What do you want to be when you grow up?